What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of the host and my guest. Today's guest is a brother by the name of Ben Dubin. Ben is a Wim Hof instructor, and we talk about his journey from injury and to health and how using breath can help us find health and wellness, mental wellness, as well as physiological wellness. It's a great podcast and uh, well worth the listen. I hope you enjoy. So Ben, thank you for taking the time and coming and rapping with me. And um, uh, we have another guest with us, which is going to be Chris Pierce, but he stepped out of the room for a minute, uh, but he'll be back shortly. And um, But I, I want to talk to you about the Wim Hof method, about mm-hmm. breath work and um, uh, we went, you know, just so everybody knows, we sat down and we actually d- went through a session. So, uh, when we, when Chris and I kind of talk about how it felt for us, like we, we just did this literally 10 minutes ago and, um, and, and I want to talk about that in, mm-hmm. in great detail. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want you to introduce yourself to, uh, to the audience yeah. and, and tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, how you ended up, uh, in the fire service. Mm-hmm. And I know you've, you moved agencies and mm-hmm. you know, a little bit about that and what it's like to work in those different agencies. Yeah. So absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I always like the opportunity to share about the breath and the method and just, you know, chat with fellow firefighters. So kind of the important part is I never thought I'd be a guy sitting here talking about the breath. I never, this is not anything I envisioned about my life. I was always, I was a regular dude that was, you know, like being a firefighter and in physical fitness and never really thought two seconds about breath work or meditation. It just wasn't a part of who I was. I never really had a story to tell. You know, I grew up in North Phoenix, Scottsdale area. You know, I earned everything I had, but I didn't have to struggle for a lot growing up, didn't have to overcome a lot. Just that's just the environment that I was raised in. So I never had a story. I just never nothing really crazy happened where I had to overcome all these great odds and become a different person and tell people about what I learned. I just, nothing ever happened until something happened, right? You don't mm-hmm. have a story until you have a story to tell. So I was born and raised here in Phoenix. It is, I'll interject yeah. real quick though. It is interesting that we, we often feel like our life is not, uh, is not that important mm-hmm. because yeah. I didn't have a, a, any special hardship or exactly. any sp- unique circumstance. It yeah. makes us feel like maybe, maybe I'm missing something right in my story, right. but but I, but I think that's not that's not right, and we all bring we all have value, right? And there's sure. All, there's always these events and learning things we have. So anyway, nonetheless, no, you're, it's very true. And, you know, my my wife, my significant other, has a lot of stories because she went through a lot of challenges when she was a kid, and she's overcome a lot. And now she helps other people with that. So I look at her like, holy cow, she's done A, B, C, and D, and I really haven't done anything with my life. And you know, just comparing you to someone who's just done so much and helped so many people. But like I said, I now I have kind of a story that I want other people to learn about and learn from my challenges, learn from my mistakes and and learn what I've done to hopefully, you know, become the man, the father, the husband, the firefighter I've, I've become today. So now I kind of have a story to tell. And I never thought I'd have one. So let's so let's go back to the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. So how did you what drew you to the fire service? Okay. Sports, you know, I played college baseball, high school baseball, college baseball here in the Phoenix area and just really 
always, I like training for something. I, I like purpose behind what I'm doing. I like purpose behind going and working out and training and trying to get better. And, you know, with baseball, you're constantly practicing, always trying to improve your skills. And then you get to go perform when it's game time. And I like that opportunity to, to show what it is I've learned, show what it is, so what it is I practice and perform at a level to support my team and hopefully, hopefully win, especially on the baseball field. So that's what originally drew me to the fire service. Now it took me a while to get there. Um, I went to finish my school at Arizona State University. I got my degree in exercise science because my passion as well was strength and conditioning. Yeah. And you know, once again, I be part of a team. I get to help other people train and other people perform in order to be successful. And I was super fortunate when I got out of college to get aligned with a company called Athletes Performance. They're now called Exos. And I worked there for about four or five years. Once I got my degree working with elite athletes all around the world, allowing me to somehow be a part of it without truly being a part of it on the athlete side. Yeah. And they gave me a tremendous opportunity to coach. And while I was there is where I really began to, to seek out being a firefighter, learn what is this job about? What is this culture about? I got hooked up with a ride along was actually here in Phoenix, my first one ever and went on it. And right there, I'm like, this is it. This is, it's hard to explain, but this is it. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. It's it's funny that I think I find a lot of a lot of folks whose story begins with that ride along, mm -hmm. right? Somebody, someone, 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 somewhere invited them along mm -hmm. and said, "Hey, you should do this thing." And people are kind of like, "Well, I don't know." Mm -hmm. And it's once you get on that rig and you come to the firehouse and you mm -hmm. see how it works, um, it, it, it attracts a lot of folks at that point. Yeah. The, the hook gets set. The uh, what was. Um, at uh, athletes performance like mm -hmm. coaching elite level athletes mm -hmm. that's got to be a there's got to be a certain amount of stress with that in my mm -hmm. mind's eye like these are high performance athletes you got to get this right if you mm -hmm. you know jam them up <laughs> exactly with the wrong programming yeah. like what what is that like it's it's a lot and we all as a as a coaching group we constantly work together we constantly mm -hmm. evaluate each other's programs so like we all kind of had a niche you know my niche was NFL veterans and major league baseball players that's just what kind of I morphed into with with my mentality the way I spoke it's just it's just the way it kind of works some people went more towards hockey some people went more towards olympic sports it's just the way the coaching staff kind of divvy things up and what we constantly do we constantly challenge each other constantly push each other hey let me see your program okay why'd you do this why'd you do that and we're constantly this? asking yeah. questions so we can not defend so to speak but explain this is why i chose this for this specific situation this specific athlete this is how it's going to help them this is not going to hurt them and we would constantly evaluate each other to help each other mm -hmm. become better because as a strength coach you only learn so much in school you know the school i didn't learn how to create programs for baseball players. I don't know how to create programs for football players. I learned that from my mentors in the strength industry. Right. I had to take the knowledge that they were giving me from all these different angles and put what I felt was best for my athlete at the time and then say, hey, what do you think? And it just takes a few years of, hey, what do you think? What do you think? Until you gain the confidence like, oh, I know what this person needs because yeah. I've been told so many times. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've learned that this is going to apply in this situation. It right. just takes time. Right. It, it makes a lot of sense though that the you know, the academic preparation mm -hmm. gives you the fundamental basics and then it's the the sport specificity, mm -hmm. the elements that you need to learn later, yeah. you're gonna glean from practical application, yeah. internships, et cetera, where you're actually applying the work. Do you find that um I've always felt like and I know maybe I'm overusing this expression, but I always I've, I have referred to firefighters as an industrial athlete. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. With the understanding that that the 
preparation that we are doing is not for a specific day, mm-hmm. right? You're preparing an athlete to be globally prepared, mm-hmm. kind of for the, you know, for the unknown, the unknowable, the the unexpected, mm-hmm. right? The unknown game day, et cetera. Yeah. And that seems to me like a unique challenge. Did yes. you kind of have you wrapped your head around that yet? Yeah. And how how do you look at that? And so when I was first started coaching an athlete's performance, I was beginning to get into the firefighter world and beginning to want to test and become a firefighter. And they knew this as an organization, they knew it and they supported it. And what they allowed me to do, they allowed me to look at creating a firefighter program oh. at athlete's performance. Oh, cool. And so I just saw this very unique way to bridge this gap between a world of strength and conditioning for elite athletes in the world of strength and conditioning for firefighters, because they're like I said, we're industrial or tactical athletes, whatever you want to call us. We have to move a certain, we have to be prepared to move a certain way for a certain period of time to get the job done. Right. And athletes are the same way. We prepare them to move a certain way to get the job done over a certain period of time. Yep. And so I, I saw this huge crossover, and the more I got to know firefighters, the more I rode along, I saw this huge issue with injuries and you know, and line of duty deaths. I'm like, we could do something. We can do something better. I know there's something out there. That, let, let me see what we can do. And then I started picking the brains of some firefighters I got to meet throughout my ride-alongs and my testing processes, and we were eventually able to create a, a mentorship class that was three days that was offered to firefighters all across the country and even the world where they come in and they would learn how this methodology that we use for elite athletes can transition into the culture of the fire service. So what type of elements were you guys focusing on? Everything. So, you know, as an athlete, when you come in for a training session, it's a very systematic approach to training. First, we have to evaluate your movement patterns. How do you move? How do you move without any weight, without any gear? I need to see your ability to move in space and time. Then once I see that, if there's deficits, well, we need to address those because I don't want to place fitness on top of dysfunction. If I have a guy who can't do uh, an air squat with a broomstick over his head, I'm not going to put 225 pounds on his back. I'm going to see if we can clear up some of those problems, clear up some of those asymmetries. The leading cause for injury is previous injury. The second leading cause for injury is an asymmetry side to side. So we need to evaluate someone, say, hey, this is how we screen our athletes. This is how we can screen our firefighters coming in. And at Athletes Performance Exos, we use the functional movement screen just to see how does someone move. It gives us a snapshot. So that's the first thing we taught these firefighters that would come in. Hey, when you go back, let's start screening your guys, screening your girls to see how they move. And then based off what you see, here are the things you can give them to fix what you're seeing so it doesn't become a problem. Our goal is to prevent the problem from happening. If all we do is place fitness on dysfunction, we're going to potentially create a big problem that we could have prevented in the first place. Yeah, you're just magnifying yeah, any anomaly. That's all you're doing. Yeah, I think about a, a squat in particular, right? Mm-hmm. This this long kinetic chain, mm-hmm. and you just start stacking load on top of it. At some any place where that chain is is broken or out mm-hmm. of alignment, it's just going to be magnified by the time you begin that movement. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. With all that load yeah, on there. Movement is our foundation. We didn't move well, so you know these these firefighters are coming. We teach them the screen, and then you know within a training session, it's broken up. Your first ten minutes are you know prehab soft tissue exercises focused on that screen let's start working on some of these asymmetries clearing those up then we go into movement prep which is our our stretching lingo for activating the nervous system and then we teach them within working out that we need to have balance equal pushes equal pulls equal upper equal lower because if someone does you know 10 sets of bench press and one set of back we're creating an asymmetry within our workout that could lead to an injury so we kind of educate hey it's fine to do all that stuff but let's create some balance within that program and we teach these fire firefighters how to create programs to create that balance that may clear up asymmetries that someone had coming in or prevent them from even happening. 
Nice. And then we get into the whole cardiovascular component, evaluating with VO2 submaxes and looking at heart rate zones and heart rate recovery as the most important factor for firefighters, and then teach them how to take their firefighters through this evaluation and then give them specific heart rate zones to train in just like we would our athletes. So we were trying to be as detail oriented as we can to not miss anything, give the same care that these multi-million dollar athletes get to our firefighters that to me are multi-million dollar assets as well. Yeah. And by the time you've got them trained up and invested, mm-hmm. like they're an incredibly expensive asset. And so let's right? take care of our assets and let's give them the same resources, the same tools that these elite athletes get because we're athletes as well. We're supposed to be athletes as well. Right. Well, we need to be able to perform. We exactly. Right? <laughs> yes. You train to perform, which right. is the same exact concepts yeah. athletes do. It's, it's it's interesting though. I think about like you mentioned that you had you were training veteran athletes or veteran mm-hmm. NFL veterans, mm-hmm. and I think about like. A seasoned firefighter who's got a bunch of you know, a little long in the tooth, mm-hmm. right? Has some time on the job. There's there's little nagging injuries. They mm-hmm. they happen. So can you? Are there parallels between kind of that that NFL veteran mm-hmm. and a and a more seen yeah. seasoned firefighter? Yeah, and a lot of it comes to the mentality that I was trying to bring across. You know, you have the mentality of working with someone who's training for the combine. Yeah, who is going to be someone probably who wants you in their face, yelling, screaming, pushing you as far further than you ever thought possible. And that there's a coach that specifically applies to that group. Me, working with these NFL vets, I learned because, you know, they taught me and they showed me how things need to be done. They know their bodies. They know what they're capable of. They know how hard they need to be pushed to get ready for the season. It wasn't my job to push them. My job was to give them a program, talk about it with them. Hey, what do you think? This looks good. You've done this for 15 years. Do you like this? And they would have way more input in what I was giving them than let's say athlete in college because they've earned that input. Yeah. The same thing with a veteran firefighter. They know their bodies. They know what's going on. They know how hard they can work over a period of time. My job isn't to push them because I don't want to hurt them. I want them to have input. Hey, what do you want to work on? What do you want to get better at? Let's work together to find a solution so you can improve in every aspect you want to improve in. Right. So to me, it's just about the mental and the relationship approach versus from a, a probationary firefighter to a veteran firefighter. Right. Yeah, I feel like that that probationary firefighter needs a lot more general coaching, mm-hmm. right? Because they're being they're transitioning from maybe the high school gym workout, mm-hmm. right? The high school football workout, you know, and they're you know. Back and buys and mm, tries and thighs, exactly. and, you know, they're just doing the big, you know, those, those big muscle groups or mm-hmm. whatever, um, versus a uh, a more targeted, you know, cardiovascular oriented right. work or whatever, um, you know, skills courses mm-hmm. and things like that that are more job related and functional. And then you have that that more senior firefighter who's the challenges are different, mm-hmm. right? They have time management issues, they have family issues. <laughs> it's it, they know how to work out. It's mm-hmm. more about hey, I need a workout that is more accessible mm-hmm. to me at this point in my career and accommodates maybe a, a series of injuries or whatever. Yeah. Like I have a back issue or I have a this or that, a knee or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and now you're targeting that uh, training to their current status. Yeah, because there's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah. There has to be a conversation. It has to be trust and a relationship. You know, my, my goal is to gain trust with these individuals. So yeah. they trust me that I'm going to take care of them. I'm not trying to do this to get my name out there. I truly want to help them get better and feel better. So right. let's work together to achieve that. Right. And the only way to do that is by, okay, talking to them, having a conversation. So you're, okay, so we went well off track, here, which is great. <laughs> we, but you're, you're coaching these, oh, yes, athletes, you're right. coaching these athletes up and then, and you're getting, um, I can see how you might have how you ended up in the fire service though, because you start getting um, turned on to it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you're getting hooked up, and you're you're doing coaching in that venue, mm-hmm. and now you're meeting firefighters, and you're kind of going down that path a mm-hmm. little bit. So what 
you know, you said you went on a ride long. I'm assuming someone went like, Hey dude, you should check mm-hmm. this out. That's exactly how okay. it was. And so you do a ride long mm-hmm. and then, and then what happens? And then it was like, it's just, it's hard to explain. It's like, this is it. Like, this is what I've been looking for without me knowing I was looking for you. Know, I didn't grow up as a five-year-old saying I want to be a firefighter. I mean, right. yeah, it's cool. I, but I wasn't that kid that saw a fire truck and saying, that's what I want to do. I had other goals. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Then I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. And this, the natural progression of things led me to this environment where I can be physically active. My physical activity is important for my job, important for people I work with and work for. And I like that responsibility. Like I said, I like training and, and preparing for something that means something as opposed to just going to the gym three days a week just to go to the gym and work on a computer. Like that, that doesn't entice me as, as a human. Right. I want to train, be prepared, and have that preparation pay off for my team and for other people I'm working for. And that, as I did that ride along, I saw these guys training and saw them working out. And then we saw them on a fire. I'm like, oh, so this is why they do all... This is what an athlete does. Like this is yeah. the closest I'm going to get. My pro, my pro baseball dreams are dead and they've been long dead and <laughs> they're not going to happen. This is as close as I'm going to get to realizing that potential in myself. And that, it was just, a, it was a no brainer. It was just, yeah. okay, in. Yeah. I had a, uh, a former uh, pro ball player on the podcast, Richie mm-hmm. Robnett, and he talked about the clubhouse mm-hmm. and he's like, yeah, man, they, the fire station was a lot like the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And so- he goes, that it made sense to me. It connected. It just fired in my head. I'm like, yep, I get it. I, mm-hmm. I, I understand the, the rhythm of what's taking place here. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of preparation mm-hmm. for, you know, the job mm-hmm. and, and practicing and, and being prepared and drilling and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the crossovers are endless, right? They, they really are. They yeah. Really are. So that's cool, man. So where, so where did you get your start? So I got my start actually in Tempe. So as I was coaching, I went through paramedic school part-time while I was full-time coaching at Athletes Performance. And then I got a job as a civilian paramedic with Tempe Fire back in 2010. They had two of their ambulances were civilian positions on the medic side. And so I was able to work my way onto that and work there for roughly two and a half years. And that was really my first exposure to EMS or the fire department in general. And got to be at the fire station, got to be around the, around the crews and truly learn the culture from the inside. And every day was kind of like an interview because I was still one step behind. I wasn't quite there. I was in an AMBO, right. but I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So I got to be in this environment 10 days a month where I was getting paid to be there, but to learn from these guys and, and learn about the challenges, learn about the 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 calls and the the station life. And it just got, I got to learn from the inside out and just kept falling more and more in love with this culture. It just yeah. like, this is it. Like I know I'm leaving something really cool coaching these athletes. Like I know I had a great job and I was super fortunate and super lucky to work for an organization like I did, but this is it. Like, this is where I want to be. I want to be in a firehouse. Like this is, this is what I want my life to be. And so started there two and a half years. And then this was kind of during the downturn of the economy, 2010, 2011, 2012, not many places were hiring. Um, a guy I worked with in Tempe at Station 6, his brother-in-law worked for Colorado Springs Fire Department. And trust me, I never thought about leaving. You know, this is where I want to be my entire life. But I wanted to learn the craft of firefighting. I wanted to learn how to be a firefighter. So I saw all these guys doing this every single day. I'm like, gosh, I want that. Yeah. And so I took a test for Colorado Springs, never yeah. thinking I would leave Arizona. Yeah. And, I, and I do, to your point, though, I think a lot of guys take a shotgun approach mm-hmm. because the, the job itself is what you want. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. I, I, I got to get on the job. And, yeah. and sometimes where you end up working mm-hmm. is not always the number one priority because mm-hmm. you're like, hey, I, whoever's going to give me a shot, exactly. I'll take it. Yeah. And so you you know, you know end up using those agencies maybe as a stepping stone mm-hmm. or, or you go there and you fall in love yeah. right? because you don't always know. But that's... 
And I was fortunate for both. I didn't plan on going there. So I got hired, right? And that's back in 2013. And I didn't plan on going there as a stepping stone. It wasn't, it wasn't what I was thinking of doing. I was right. going there and this is my job. Yeah. My girlfriend, now wife, ended up moving up there with me and we ended up having a baby up there. We have a five-year-old son now, but um, phenomenal organization. Hardworking, blue collar. It's a pretty big city. It's Colorado. So it's absolutely beautiful. And it's a, it's a great, great place to work. And I, I, I didn't, I said, I didn't go up there thinking I'm going to go back to Phoenix or back to Arizona. It just wasn't something we had thought about. But, you know, three and a half, four years later, I get a text from some buddies that are in Tempe. Hey, man, we're hiring. We're testing. You know, <laughs> what do you think? And these are people that I that were mentoring me when I was on the ambulance. And I, I think the absolute world of them. And I'm like, gosh, dude, these guys, they're putting this out there for a reason. Like maybe... Maybe there's something. So I, my wife and I had many conversations. And at one point, we came to the conclusion that, hey, man, we're going to be happy here in Colorado. We love it here. We have a great support team. Right? It's a great organization, great place to live. We're not going anywhere. But there's this little thought in the back of my head, like, in 25 years, I'm going to regret not trying. Like, I can't. Like, we can have a great life. This is going to be great. But I'm always going to think, what if? And this is still home, right? And like, this is this is where I was born and raised. My family's right. out here. My friends are out here. Is your wife from here as well? No, she's not from here, but most of her connections are out here. Okay. Um, so she was wanting to get back to the Phoenix area as well. So decided, all right, you know what? I'm 30. I think I was 34 years old at the time. All right, I'll take one more test, go through one more fire academy if I'm fortunate <laughs> enough. You know, the first one was tough, but, uh, you know, that's the way things are. And luckily, out of the now thousand people that took it, um, they hired three of us, and I was lucky enough to be one of those three. And we ended up Man, moving back to Phoenix. Can I just say that the you think about the relationships that you established while mm -hmm. you worked there, you know, in in a less glamorous position, mm -hmm. right? And had you not taken that seriously. Mm -hmm. You would have wasted the opportunity. 100%. But man, going there and, and digging in and being a valuable asset, mm -hmm. you actually laid the groundwork for. Uh, for an opportunity that you yeah. didn't know was coming. Yeah. And I'm and, so grateful for yeah. being up there. Like I learned so much and like so the relationships I have, I still, my wife and I were back there in November teaching the Wim Hof method to those guys. Oh yeah. So to be able to bring that back to him was just a tremendous experience. Right. Yeah. Now, and I was talking about your ability to come back to Tempe. Oh but, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but what I'm, but, but yeah, but you also have those, now you've extended your fire family, mm -hmm. right? Like that's pretty cool too. No, I meant like you have this position on an ambulance. Oh, gotcha. You know, working in Tempe, and they, but you but you honored that opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think this is this is just a side note, but I had a conversation with a guy the other day who works on a private ambo, mm -hmm. and he's like, well, "Worst job ever!" Blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, the op there is opportunity there, yeah. and it may not be the primary opportunity that you want today, mm -hmm. but." work that job man and do the best work that you can because you never know who's paying attention to you You're right and and the opportunities that you may run into mm -hmm. so kind of like i said every day being on an ambo is like an interview and so i, I yes. approached each shift even though i'm working there as an interview because if i have one bad day you know that might be what they remember so i'm like yeah. i gotta be on 24 7 i'm and it's just what i wanted to do because yes. i knew what my end goal was and i was gonna give it everything i had to reach that end goal and it definitely meant a lot when i had these guys texting me you know four years later Hey, we, we want you back. Like yes. this is this is where you belong. We, we want you in Tempe, and so it, it yeah. made me feel good. Why feel good? And and everything. Like we couldn't be happier. Like so we love it up in Colorado. It's a fantastic place, but it just feels right to be home. It yeah. really just does. That's awesome, mm -hmm. man. The um, uh, so do the math for me here. How many been on the job now? 
So with Tempe, almost four years. I was in Colorado Springs about three and a half years, nice. and then in Ambo for two and a half years. About ten years in EMS total. Are those, are those similar size? I'm not sure. I don't no, know. No, Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs is 22 fire stations, about 450 oh, okay. firefighters. A lot bigger than people think, but it's by itself. Like you know, Denver is about 45 minutes north, and Colorado Springs and Pueblo. So uh, yeah, big organization, big department, um, but it was a great place to work. Yeah. Cool. Mm. I, I, I think about Colorado and I think, man, I'm, I don't want to shovel snow. <laughs> that was a, being a Phoenix guy. That was a very unique experience. <laughs> that must have been quite a shock for you. Because at the fire station, you got to keep all the sidewalks clear. You got to keep the bay clear. So if you get a blizzard at two o'clock in the morning, oh, you got to yeah. wake up and, you know, as a new guy, you're going to be out there <laughs> the shoveling guy. snow 24 hours a day in between calls. Yeah. And so you're just cold awesome. all day, every day. And fighting fire in zero degree temperature yeah, is not like? as much fun as it thinks, as you think. <laughs> it's horrible. Unless you're inside actually doing work which you know on a fire several crews are outside doing their thing standing by oh, sorry I don't know what that was <laughs> did, you turn on, <laughs> did you get siri get yes, activated siri talked about zero degree temperatures right there <laughs> um you're standing outside and you're just frozen and then all the yeah. water's turning to ice and we have guys literally break their legs because they're walking on the sidewalk and they slip and they fall and they snap their leg in half. and yeah. it happened all the time so yeah. I actually prefer the heat of arizona to yeah. the cold of colorado to yeah. fight fire and the... <laughs> yeah you know it's yeah, I, I, I've often, you know, I, I remember thinking over the years, like, yeah, you know, you, you can always put on layers, mm-hmm. you can always add clothes, and, and you can only get, you know, when it's hot out, you can only take off so many clothes, right? True. Like, you, you're you limited. Yeah. But, but <laughs> I have learned to appreciate the fact that it is sunny here mm-hmm. 99% of the time. Yeah. That, that, might, that number might be a little bit off, but yeah. largely it is sunshine here. Yes. And there's some beauty in that. And mm-hmm. uh, even when it's really, really hot, like, all summer long, I'll go out and mountain bike. Mm-hmm. Just go early in the morning. You know, it doesn't stop me from training. Doesn't stop me from doing stuff. Yeah. I just have to alter my day. Whereas a blizzard, uh-huh. on the other hand, you're done, man. That's not much shuts, you can do. And yeah, you still have to go out. Down. You still go out. You still run calls. And I remember driving to work one day. It was minus 17 degrees in my car. Goodness I'm like, gracious. what am I doing here? <laughs> this is this cold. But you know, we loved it. We we had fun with it. And you know, we'd stay warm where you can. And you right. learn learn to adapt to your environment. And, yeah. It was, it was fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you're locked up for the winter time, you, yeah. you know, you're locked up here in the summer some of the time mm-hmm. too, right? I'll tell you what, there's but, nothing prettier than a bunch of fire trucks during a snowstorm. The lights and uh, the snow coming down, like that's cool. And if you go on a fire, it's the whole streets. It's just, it's a cool experience. Well, that, that, does, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. I'll just have to leave it to my imagination. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> <laughs> at this point in my career, it's not, not, not I'm never going to see it <laughs> unless I go on a vacation somewhere and uh, happen to catch it. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I was hoping Chris would come back in here before we started this next half of our conversation because I want to dig into um, how you got into the Wim Hof mm-hmm. stuff. Well, let's well, let's just do it. Chris okay. will come when he gets in here. Right. He'll get here when he gets here. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. How did you um, – you had mentioned um, – I think at some point you told me that you had an injury or something like that that kind yeah. of led you down that path. It actually goes before that. So super random occurrence of how I first found out about the Wim Hof Method. I had a headache one day in Colorado. I went to go see a massage therapist. She's like, hey, I think you should go see this chiropractor. And so I went to see this chiropractor who's only an upper cervical spine guy, very specialized guy. And I worked with him for a few months. And then one day he randomly says, hey, you ever heard of this guy, Wim Hof? Hmm. I'm like, no, I never heard of him. This is probably 2014, 
2015, something like that. I'm like, no, never heard of him. So he's like, hey, you should look him up. So I go home. There's a documentary, a Vice documentary that a lot of people have seen that kind of a couple of journalists from Vice went out and tagged along with Wim, kind of seeing what's this guy about. Is he a charlatan? Is he a guru? What is this dude? We don't know what he's selling, what's going on. And they basically train with him for a week and they go hike up Mount Snezga in Poland in blizzard and nothing but a pair of shorts. And they come out seeming like these changed people like, holy cow, this was the most amazing thing ever. And as I'm watching this documentary, I just kind of resonate with everything Wim's saying about wanting to be better, wanting to be stronger, wanting to be healthier, wanting to be happier, wanting to improve, wanting to get used to the cold, you know, being a Phoenix boy up in Colorado, the cold was a big issue for me. I like guess I wasn't happy with it. Like it was just yeah. tough. Like I said, fighting fire in zero degree temperature when you're not fighting fire is cold. And so that's how I first found out about it. And then Wim has an online course and I called a friend of mine who used to coach at athletes performance with, cause I know he had done it at some point. And I talked to him and he's like, Ben, this is a guy I trust. Like if he says words, like I, I, I trust what he's not just throwing stuff at the wall to see if it sticks. He's, he's very methodical about what he says and how he says it. He's like, Ben, this changed my life. And like for a guy to tell That's me that. That's a strong it's sentence. a very strong, yeah, strong sentence. statement. That's, yeah. And I'll, I'll open the story on that too in a little bit. So I'm like, okay, sold. And so Wim has an online course and I bought it and I went through, I was up in Colorado. My main goal and intention of going through it was for physical benefits. I wanted my bottle to last longer on my SCBA. I wanted to be able to communicate more effectively using my breath. Um, as far as not being out of breath on fires, I wanted to get used to the cold. And that was my main intent, improve physical performance and my ability to handle the cold when I first started doing the breath work and the, and the showers and the ice baths. And I did. And over a period of five, six 10 weeks, you know, his online course, I think it's 10 weeks. I practiced and I got those benefits. I felt better. My cardiovascular system felt better. I was better at skills courses. The cold wasn't that big of a deal, even after a short period of time, but I was inconsistent with my practice. Like I feel really cool while I was doing it. And I, I the breath work felt great and the ice felt great. And I'd feel good for a few weeks and I'd stop doing it for a few weeks because life gets in the way and I had a newborn at home, you know, trying to find time to breathe was just kind of hard. Just that's just the way life is. Yeah. And so I would be in and out, in and out, in and out, practicing, not practicing, enjoying it while I was doing it, having some benefits, but I'm like, okay, this is cool. I feel good, whatever. There's something here, but I don't know really what it is. And then I went to the testing process in Tempe and life got in the way and I just didn't practice at all. It was kind of put on the back burner. So went through the Phoenix Fire Academy. I was in 16-3 um, and still kind of practicing consistently. I didn't, I don't think I had a reason to practice. I wasn't looking for something. Everything was kind of status quo. I was feeling fine. Like, I don't know. I didn't realize what I was missing, I guess it's a big point. I didn't realize what it is I needed to find. Right. And so I went through the academy and everything was okay and got off and on um, probation. I was three months in and we were training at our training center. So I was on duty and I ended up tearing my distal bicep tendon in my left arm three months into probation. I didn't know I tore it. I thought I strained it. So we finished the skills course. This was like 10 in the morning, worked the rest of the day, picking up boxes. I'm like, ah, something's kind of wrong, but I'm on probation. I'm not going to say anything. I can get through this. I can get through this. I know I can. Wake up the next morning and I look at my bicep and it's just not moving. I'm like, something's not attached. I think I did something wrong. 
Tell my captain, hey. Something's not attached. (laughs) It's just not moving like it's supposed to. You know, I think I was in denial. Like, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. I'll ice it. I'll be fine. Right, right. Well, we we in the medical profession have a bad habit of uh, downplaying some stuff. Like, I'm fine. And we know enough to know, like, well, I know what's wrong with this thing, (laughs) but it's just a system. The system has an issue. (laughs) Throw some ice on it, wrap it up, and I'll be fine. We're good to go. Well, and especially when you're under some certain pressure. You As a probationary guy, Mm -hmm. you're kind of under some pressure to to show up and, and... continue to right. work right it feels on top very uncomfortable that, to us all the people i mean i've known these people in tempe for so long they probably they put their name on me they they stuck their neck out for me hey ben's right, gonna come back right. he's got this physical fitness background he's not supposed to get hurt like so i all these things are going through my head yes. and it was just oh my god i'm hurt I, I can't believe this actually happened to me like i just it blew my mind um it honestly destroyed my entire identity which is what i'll get into in a little yeah. bit well isn't it interesting though like we do our you know you talked about like Ben's not supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. These are there's this ego that we have, 100%. and it gets in the way of us sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, I'm just gonna throw some ice on it, you know, yeah. lick my wounds, and got, you know, I'm gonna pretend it's not an issue. Yeah. yeah. So that's so I got hurt, and then you know everything was fine. I'm on light duty, probation, light duty. It is what it is. I'm like, okay, this is a <laughs> you know, I, I I'm in this situation. I'm gonna accept it. Um, so I saw the surgeon. We had surgery two weeks after the injury. She's like, it's gonna be four months. Four months, back on the truck, good to go 100%. I'm like, okay, so I can deal with four months. It's a blip on the radar on a 25-year career, right? No big deal. Yeah. It's still not practicing the breath work. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm hurt, so I'm a little depressed and kind of, you know, in my own head a lot about what are people thinking and really worried about the outside of what they think of me, even though, you know, they weren't thinking that in my head I thought they were. Right. So I'm just running my brain through a bunch of the stuff that doesn't need to be run through. So I have the surgery. And immediately the day after, I'm just in a ton of pain. It's like this really weird nerve burning, pins and needles, and it's 24-7, and it's not changing. No no amount of pain pills are helping, and I'm taking everything I can just to get a minute of relief. And so throughout this, the first surgery, I say first because there's two more on top of this. Oh, really? And that's where the issue kind of becomes. I... Uh, so I had the first surgery immediately the day after the surgery. I'm like, I'm in a ton of pain. Like, I don't know if this is normal or not normal. I have no idea. So obviously there's lots of follow-ups with the surgeon and I start physical therapy and she's telling me everything's fine. She's like, this is the way it is. When we go in for the distal bicep, we have to move some nerves around in some weird places and they, they get moved. So they're going to be irritated for a while. And me being a very trusting naive individuals never really had surgery before never been hurt i'm like okay you're the doctor i trust you you're telling me this is fine i'm like okay this is fine so we keep pushing through keep doing physical therapy i'm just in a ton of pain all the time i don't know what else to do three months in i still can't lift more than five pounds it literally feels like every time i try and do a bicep curl my arm is going to snap in half like a tweak and that's the best way i can explain it kind of right at the elbow it feels like someone's going to try and break my arm with just five pounds of weight so she feels around and she's like the tendon's good. You're good to go back to work. Like I'm clearing you for full duty. You're good to go. And I'm looking, I'm like, I can't lift five pounds. So she's like, you're good to go. I'm like, well, I'm going to keep doing physical therapy. She's like, okay, do whatever you want, but your tendon's strong enough. You can go back to work. So at this point, my head's getting wrapped into the biggest pretzel I've ever had. She's telling me I'm good to go. I can't lift more than five pounds. Am I done? Like, is my career as a firefighter over before it even starts did i leave something amazing in colorado come to tempe just to lose it all so this starts my kind of downward spiral mentally physically emotionally questioning everything i've done to get to this point so i keep doing physical therapy and she's like hey you can't hurt it more it's fine so you can push it so i'm starting to think maybe this pain's in my head maybe there's something wrong with me i need to find a way to push past this pain 
So we go to PT and I'm training at Exos, you know, to me, the best place in the world. And we keep pushing it and I just keep being in more and more pain over and over and over again. And nothing's getting better. Now we're six months out from a four month injury. I go back for another follow-up. I'm like, Hey, nothing's getting better. And she's like, okay, we'll do this nerve test. We'll do a nerve conduction study. You're telling me you have nerve pain. It sounds like nerve pain, but I've never had to do it before. Let's just go see what happens. So I go do this nerve conduction study and it comes back with severe damage. Two of the nerves are almost completely cut and one nerve is basically 90% cut. And the only way this could happen is during surgery. So I go back to her with the report and this is literally what she says to me. She looks at it and she's like, there's nothing more I can offer. You got to go find someone else. And that's how we left our conversation. So I'm six months in. My surgeon's mm-hmm. like, there's nothing more I can do for you. You got to go get a second opinion because I don't know what's wrong. And I'm like, okay, I was going to get a second opinion anyway, because I'm six months in and I yeah. still can't do anything. Yeah. So during the six months, but, I would, but the part that's heartbreaking is that they just say, yeah, well, sorry. That was pretty much it. Mm, that's yeah. And in my life at this time, so my wife had quit her job about two weeks prior to me getting hurt to start her own thing. So pretty big loss of financial stability there. I have a two-year-old son at home who I can't even play with. I can't even pick him up. I, I can't do, I, I am, I feel like I'm the worst dad in the world. So I can't even play with my own kid. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Financial problems at home, my marriage, my wife and I are just fighting all the time. I'm sitting behind a desk eight hours a day, questioning all the decisions I've made, wondering if my career as a firefighter is over. And I was at my lowest point in my life. And I never thought I'd be at this point. I'm like, I look in the mirror. I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. Like, I don't, what, what happened to me? Like I, I just, I was a completely different person and yeah. it just, it, it threw me through a loop and I was just like I said, at the worst part, the lowest part of my entire life. Yeah. So I go get a second opinion and the second surgeon came highly recommended and he's like, let's get an MRI. Let's see what's going on. And he's like, yeah, we got to start over. The tendon's not even attached. Um, so what happened was we had to go back in there and it was just scar tissue attaching the bicep to the bone. And the screw that was in there wasn't secured. It was just bouncing around, causing more damage every time I moved it. So good and bad news. Good news is there's something actually wrong. Yeah, it wasn't just in my head. We know what the problem head. is, right? Yes. The bad news is we're looking at six months to a year from now to get back on a fire truck. So I'm on probation. Um, six months into a surgery. I need at least another six more months, if not more. And my family life is just falling apart. Everything is crumbling around me, right? So I remember with the Wim Hof Method, talking about the mental health benefits that it had for people, whether they were anxious, whether they had depression, being able to use this as a tool to help get them past whatever it is they were going. And like I said, at first, that wasn't my reason for doing it. I was going after these physical benefits, which I got. But now looking back and looking at everyone who's talking on the forums of the Wim Hof Method on Facebook, whatever it was, saying how much this helped them mentally. I'm like, I will try anything. Like I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I'm right. not a good dad. I'm not a good husband. I can't even do my job as a firefighter. I need to figure this out. Right. And so, well, and interestingly, when we talk about um, these methods, right? Mm-hmm. People, and I throw air quotes up because I feel like people will they immediately discount this stuff as like some kind of woo-woo mm-hmm. f- weird stuff that is it, it doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bite the bullet and I tough. I, I just get tough and I, I move through this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of what I hear you talking about is mm-hmm. like, well, like, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. Like, right. because, but it's just like this fringe thing mm-hmm. that, um, isn't necessarily for me. hundred percent. And a lot yeah. of, and where, where I found people that gravitate toward this method is to get to a point where they're looking for answers. They don't know. 
to like, man, I've tried everything and nothing's working. Maybe this will work. Mm. And that's good. But I want people to understand that it can work even if you're not looking for it. Like there's, there, we can prevent things from happening. We don't have to be so reactive with our approach. We can be proactive with our approach to mental and physical health. Um, but I was very reactive when this happened to me because I didn't know any better. Right. Um, so when I had a second surgery, I knew I was having a second surgery. I made a commitment. I'm like, okay, I see these mental health benefits. I will do anything possible to feel just a little bit better, to be found a little bit of happiness in this situation that I'm in. So I'm going to dedicate 21 days to waking up. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to do the breath work, and I'm going to somehow get cold for 21 straight days. I don't care what it looks like, but I'm going to do it. Because I read in a book somewhere, it takes 21 days to create a habit. And that's kind of what stuck in my head, right? So here I am four years later. And there's a reason I'm here four years later, because that 21 days turned into a few months. So the big aha moment for me was I was on light duty at our training center and obviously firefighters are filtering through there every day, all day. And I get asked a question about a thousand times a day. Hey, Ben, how you doing? When are you coming back? How you doing? When are you coming back? And for the first six months, I, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm, it sucks. I don't know what to tell you. I'm in a ton of pain. I can't lift more right. than five pounds. I don't know. I don't know what my future is. And that's what I kept repeating, telling that same story over and over again. And I got tired of telling it. I know people are asking me because they care. They want me to get healthy. They want me to come back. But that was the most annoying question I ever got was, how are you doing? Yeah. But I understand. Well, there's some programming from. there, too, because as you start repeating that story, mm -hmm. you're building this identity for yourself. 100%. Yeah, I'm this broken toy that mm -hmm. has no future. And like I said, I identified myself by physical fitness. You know, being a strength right. and conditioning right. coach, That's being what a I'm college, saying. my identity was gone. Like I, I literally had no idea who I was anymore. Yeah. So doing the breathing every day, people are asking me how you doing. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's had my second surgery. I'm in a sling. It's had my second surgery. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure what the future holds. And then about two months in. I had a captain come down to the training center and he remembers the story too. He says, Ben, how you doing? I'm like, you know what, Cap? I've never felt better in my entire life. And he's like, what'd you just say? <laughs> I'm literally in a sling. And I'm like, whoa, I was not planning on saying that, but I really feel amazing right now. My physical environment didn't change. I was still uncertain about my future, but between my ears, I had truly never felt better than I did at that moment. And that was my aha. Like if I can feel this good right now, from just breathing in cold water, who else can feel this way? Who else needs to feel this way with everything they have going on in their life? And I'm like, whoa, that's pretty powerful. And so that is what catapulted me to becoming an instructor. Because so I see the challenges we have with mental health in the fire service. And I'm like, if I can feel this good, my life is falling apart. My wife and I are not getting along. I can't pick up my kid financially. We're in so much debt. My future is a firefighter. But I can be happy. Well, who else needs to be happy? Who else can find this in spite of what's going on around them? Right. And so that's what pushed me to learn about the Wim Hof Academy and, and to go. I, I got trained by Wim. We ended up hiking Mount Hood up in Oregon as part of our training exercise, nothing but a pair of shorts. And I haven't looked back. And it's been four years and I practice almost every day and it still continues to get better. And now, even though I had two surgeries, I still need a third surgery. So we had to go back in. I had scar tissue that wrapped around my radial nerve was pinching it off almost like a hot dog. It's like every time you touch my arm, I felt like sandpaper was on fire mm. and it still limited me pretty big functionally, but I kept breathing, kept getting the cold. We had a third surgery, scraped some of the scar tissue off, but every byproduct of surgery is going to be scar tissue. So we did the best we could. Um, but I got to a point where I was able to learn how to manage my pain without pills, learn that jumping in cold water every day and controlling how I feel, not letting that discomfort bother me, creating that resilience when it comes to physical stress, creating the resilience when it came to mental stress that truly allowed me to get back on a fire truck 16 months after my original injury. 
And uh, my passions become sharing this with as many people as I can. Like we talked about, I was in the physical fitness. I was a strength and conditioning coach. I truly believed the foundation of who we are and who we are supposed to be is how we move. But I feel like it's deeper. It's our physiology. If we can impact our physiology, everything else is going to take care of itself. Like to me, the most foundational aspect of who we are as human beings is what's going on on the inside. And for the first time ever, I felt like I had control. Hmm. So I had, one of the things that I had told you earlier, and I, I said it again, kind of this whole, the idea that um, when you talk about breath work mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or like a, a mindfulness mm-hmm. or these types of things, it, it gets this like, uh, uh, it's it's not a very tactile thing. It's very, very woo woo. Mm-hmm. And um, the interesting thing though, is when I think about this, it's not like you're just sitting and contemplating your navel and, and thinking mm-hmm. you know, existentially about your existence, right? right? It's very, it's a very physical thing that you yeah. do. It's a and performance so, based exercise. Really right. Is. You're actually moving air in mm-hmm. and out and that there's a tremendous actual, there's an actual physical act that's mm-hmm. taking place there that has a, 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 a physiological impact and an actual effect. And, um, and so I interject here real quick with, uh, we welcome Chris. He made it to the, <laughs> made it to the table here well, and, thank um, you. say hi, Chris. Hello. <laughs> so, um, I want to dig into um, the physiology, right? Mm-hmm. So first of all, talk about like, you know, you kept talking about the practice and, and, and practicing my breathing. And, mm-hmm. and so let's talk about what that really is. What exactly are you doing? Mm-hmm. So we just went and um, we can talk about the experience we just had. So mm-hmm. um, Chris and I joined you and we mm-hmm. went over and, and laid down on the floor and we went through a session, mm-hmm. right? So talk us through what you did and then what are some of the experience, what, what, We'll tell you what we felt, mm-hmm. and and yeah. you tell us what is actually happening yeah. inside of our bodies. Well, so I'll get a little sciencey for a second, yeah, because it. it's to me it's important for people to understand actually what's happening inside their bodies and why it's happening, and then we'll attach it to the feeling that you two got during the actual session. So we talk about stress. So acute stress versus chronic stress, right? We know acute stress can be good for us because we can adapt and become stronger. We know chronic stress is bad for us. There's a very important term called hormesis. Hormesis means exposing your body to the right amount of stress for the right amount of time to adapt and become stronger. Whereas if you expose yourself to that same stress for too long, it would be detrimental. So for instance, during the breath work, if we held our breath for an hour, we're probably going to die. In the ice bath, we sit in there for an hour, we're probably going to die. But if we do it in very small increments, our body, our physiology will adapt and become stronger. And that's the premise behind the whole method. So the, the analogy I use is like someone who's never lifted a weight in their entire life. I'm going to say, do this bicep curl. We're going to do three sets of 10 with five pounds and tell me how that is. And this is a very untrained, deconditioned person. They're going to say, that's difficult. That is hard to do. I'm going to call them the next day. How do you feel? I'm sore. That's really sore. That was hard to do. Okay. We're going to keep training for the next three months. We're going to start with five pounds. We're going to gradually go up to 10, then 15, then 20, then 25. Once we get to three sets of 10 with 25 pounds, the next week, we're going to go back to that five-pound weight. I want you to tell me, is that easy or hard? Like, oh, that felt like a feather. Are you sore the next day? No, I'm not sore. So we exposed ourselves to a stress for a period of time to adapt and become stronger. With the Wim Hof Method, we're doing the same exact thing, but with our physiology. We're building resiliency to stress, much like you build resiliency um, to injury or build strength with your bicep during a bicep curl. It's the same exact concept. We're just doing it with breath work and ice at the deepest levels of who we are. So that's the main aspect of what we're doing. Can, now, can I just interject yeah, real quick? Um, just a point of order. Um, 
I'd rather talk about squats <laughs> than bicep curls because to me, bicep curls have no place and they don't. in the real world. But the listeners can visualize that and they can understand what that feels. But it applies to anything. No, like I'm, just, I'm just messing around. Uh, I, I just – the <laughs> – sorry. When I think about um, – the application of it, though, you're, mm-hmm. you're, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That those, you know, that that micro insult, right? Mm-hmm. That I look at it in life in a lot of ways. We call it stress inoculation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I'm inoculating you to this element of stress, and you're going to adapt to it. So exactly. that's exactly what you're talking about. So. But it has to be the right stress for the right amount of time, or it's going to be detrimental, and we're going to get hurt, and something bad's going to happen. Right. Which is why all this stuff needs to be practiced very safely, because there is inherent danger with holding your breath in ice water that needs to be done safely and correctly each time. So. We need to talk about our stress response really quick and what happens inside our brains and bodies. So we have something called our amygdala, which sits in our brain. Our amygdala basically recognizes that recognizes a stress is going to happen. It's like our alarm bell. And when that happens, it activates something called the HPA axis. It stands for hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So amygdala senses we have an alarm going on. Your HPA axis activates and the end result are your catecholamines, your stress hormones, your adrenals release adrenaline, noradrenaline, and cortisol. So that happens every single time the stress response is activated, no matter what. So your sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight, your stress response systems. Every time it's activated, those three hormones get released. The HPA axis fires up and we need to prepare for fight or flight. The reason cortisol is released is cortisol inhibits insulin production, which allows your body to use sugar or glucose to escape the situation or survive that situation. So that's how our stress response is is in humans and how it's supposed to be. And the way it worked back in the day when you were cavemen, you, know, you wake up, you got to go find your food. So you go out, you're hunting, you're kind of on edge and on alert. And let's say you got your food to go eat, but then a, a saber-toothed tiger sees you. And so, oh my gosh, you know, I got to survive this moment. What am I going to do? So your amygdala recognizes saber-tooth tiger, activates the HPA axis. You release adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. Adrenaline, noradrenaline will increase your heart rate, increase your blood pressure, increase your blood flow. Cortisol releases sugar so we can have uh, fuel for our muscles to escape that situation. So you activate the sympathetic fight or flight. You escape the situation. You go back in your little cave. You shut the door. (sighs) You can take a deep breath. The situation's over. So what happens, only way the system turns off is through something called negative feedback. Cortisol, which has been roaming throughout our body during a fight or flight response, goes back up to the brain and it says, hey, we can turn off. We're safe. The moment's over. We don't need to survive. So you can switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic. And as humans, we're supposed to be in parasympathetic pretty much all day, every day. We're not really in fight or flight situations with everything going on. But here's the problem. So that's how it's supposed to work. As society has evolved and command or you know demands on us as humans have evolved we're always thinking about ah, what's next what do i have to do next we're thinking about something that happened in the past there's always something else we're worried about right and what happens is our bodies and our minds cannot tell the difference between a real fight or flight response and one we make up in our own head hmm. and so i use firefighters right so if you think about a call that you had five years ago, 10 years ago, a week ago, and you put yourself back in it and it didn't go well. Say it was one of those really challenging calls that we've all unfortunately been on and we're going to continue to go on. You go back on that call in your brain, your body cannot tell the difference between it being real or perceived. So what happens? Amygdala activates, HPA axis, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. So let's say we do that a few times during the day. Let's say we're on shift and we get you know, 10 calls that day. Every time the tones go off, amygdala, HPA axis, cortisol. Okay, great. 
let's say we get one hour of sleep that night. Okay, that's a stress, right? HPA access, amygdala, blah, blah. You go home and now you have responsibilities at home. We never get a chance to go from sympathetic to parasympathetic. Our body is stuck in that sympathetic fight or flight. And the reason it's stuck is your body's going to do the most efficient thing possible. So instead of turning off, going from sympathetic to parasympathetic, which the only way is cortisol goes back up and it says, hey, we're good. You can shut the situation down. It's, it basically says, you're going to turn me on again in 10 minutes. I'm just not going to turn off. Or you're going to turn me on again 20 times today because you're worried about this. You get a phone call from your significant other. Your kid messes up at school. You're going to go on these 10 calls. You're not going to sleep that night. So the system just doesn't shut down. So we as humans are stuck in this fight or flight, go, go, go mentality, which why we have chronic cortisol levels. And cortisol is good in a very short amount, but it's bad when it's chronically released in your body. So that's the problem. And the solution, what I found with the breath work is, like I said, the only way for the system to shut off, to go sympathetic to parasympathetic is cortisol goes back up and it says situations handled. So we'll get into more of the breathing stuff, but during the breath hold, we are activating our fight or flight nervous system with intermittent hypoxia. We're holding our breath for a period of time, turning on that fight or flight. Once that situation's over, we take a deep breath in and recover, situation's over and we end in parasympathetic. So the only way to deactivate your nervous system is to activate it and then turn it off. And so when you're done with the breath work, you're sitting in parasympathetic, which is where we're supposed to be as humans. And same thing with the ice. I look at ice water, 35 degrees. I jump in, I'm activating my fight or flight nervous system, hmm. right? I'm, this is scary. This is, this is going to hurt. It's going to be painful. After two minutes, you're successful. You get out of the ice. That threat is over. Your system goes from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So we need to train our bodies how not only to activate, more importantly, how to deactivate that nervous system so we can be where we're supposed to be as humans all day, every day. And that's the main reason why this method exists and it works. It shows people how to hit that reset button on that nervous system to be parasympathetic. Mm. So, so take me through the process. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? So it's very simple and you spend maybe 30 minutes a day at most doing this if you were to do it and be consistent with it. So you want me to talk about the breath work and actually what it looks yeah, like? Yeah, so let's talk about the yeah. what, what you took, you what you did. took yeah. uh, us through. Crispy, yeah. Crispy and I through. Yeah, so basically it's, it's super simple. The biggest thing is there's no forcing, there's no competing. It should be a very relaxed, enjoyable experience. And it should be done with someone who knows what they're doing. Because like I said, holding your breath, there's an inherent danger to it. So we have to make sure we're safe about it. So all we did as a group, and this is all I teach other people, we breathe a very certain certain way for a certain period of time to alter our CO2, carbon dioxide, and oxygen ratios. As humans, we breathe based off the amount of CO2 in our body. The higher the CO2, the more we have to breathe. The lower the CO2, the less we have to breathe which is why free divers are able to hold their breath for, I think the record's 22 minutes on one single breath because they've learned how to purge all that CO2 and that trigger to breathe just isn't there. But obviously they've trained. I don't recommend anyone do that. Please don't do it in water. Just don't even do it. But just as an example, it's possible. And so all we're doing during our breath work is changing and playing with that ratio. We're breathing a certain way for a certain period of time to lower the CO2 down, all the way down, probably close to zero, I've hooked myself up to our monitors. My entitled CO2 is four or five and raise your oxygen up to hundred percent. So you have this big gap between CO2 and O2. And after say 30 to 40 breaths, we hold our breath and it allows us to hold our breath for a longer period of time because you're triggered to breathe. That CO2 is way low. And so we're not breathing based off the amount of oxygen, we're breathing based off the amount of CO2. 
So as CO2 slightly rises, O2 is lowering because we're holding our breath. Once again, CO2 is that trigger, so you still don't have to breathe after a period of time, but your O2 sats get to a certain point where your brain thinks you're in trouble. It perceives there's a threat, a life threat. So what it does is, okay, our oxygen's low. We have to survive this moment. What are we going to do? We need to activate the amygdala, activate the HPA axis. We need to release adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol to survive, in quotes, this situation. Get that. And once that trigger from CO2 raises a certain point, all you do is take a deep breath in to recover and all your cells are resaturated. And the threat, once again, in quotes, intermittent hypoxia is over. And we did that three to four times. So we can increase our breath hold each time because your body gets efficient at the CO2, O2 ratio. And so by the time you guys were done, you held your breath for two minutes pretty easily, tapping into that fight or flight nervous system. And then when we're done breathing, you guys woke up or came to, and you were in parasympathetic, which is where we are supposed to be because the threat is no longer there. We've handled it, processed it, and we've let it go. So it, what was interesting to me is this experience for me was incredible and i have done absolutely yeah and yeah. and chris came into this i kind of i kind of drug him in because he, he was nearby <laughs> and i said hey do this with me and and so he unwittingly kind of came to this and now i had um there's a previous podcast episode which i remains uh i can't remember the number uh, but it's aaron quinn and aaron and i talked about this method a little bit and we touched on it and um he inspired me to tinker with it a little bit so mm -hmm. i've been tinkering with it uh, over the last few months and um and by tinkering i mean like hey once a week or whatever right not super consistent mm -hmm. very much like you talked about earlier mm -hmm. just kind of dabbling and uh using the wim hof app which is available out there somewhere on the mm -hmm. internets and um it was you know i was having this really cool experience with it and and finding it to be uh super helpful but then today we went to a place i'd never been before <laughs> um which was really really cool and and you know, just the just the way I felt afterwards um, in today's session to me was uh, was the selling point, right? Mm -hmm. Like that alone was tremendous. I never felt I had not felt this relaxed and this uh, uh, reset, I guess, mm -hmm. in a long time. And I'm assuming you have a lot of stuff going on in your life right now, right? As well, a division chief and as yeah. a family man, and a lot and, of and I like to think I'm busy, and my wife is like. <laughs> My wife's like, don't tell me how busy you are. We're all busy, right? Like, so I hate to be like, yeah, I'm super busy, but like, but yeah, life is busy, mm -hmm. man. Like, my life is busy. Your life is busy. We're we're all busy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris, tell me what what? How did you feel? Uh, really, I think the thing that I noticed more than anything uh, is just how I, I. The only way I can describe it is grounded, and I know that people throw out you know grounded, but it just truly. Uh, I'd never felt just so kind of. We were laying on the ground as we as we were were running through this session, and just that kind of connection to just just laying there and just being there, and uh, and feeling the weight of your body after the the session, and just it was it was it was truly just a, a state of, of complete relaxation, um, and it's like as we've kind of talked about the at the end of it, it's um, it's kind of an emotional experience mm -hmm. to to just feel that relaxed and just have your body uh, again, have let go of, of stresses and things that are going on. And so it, it was, it was, it was, uh, something that I, I didn't expect. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll go and we'll do this breathing thing and I'll feel a little bit more relaxed, but just that true state of, of relaxation and, and, and it's a grounded because mm -hmm. just the way that I was laying there and just feeling, uh, 
again, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to describe. It, it's hard right? to describe. That's why you need to feel it because it's hard to explain this feeling that you create with the breath unless you actually go through it. Yes. And, and, and feel what it is. It's it's difficult to put words on it, which is okay because it's a unique, cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's you know the, there's the obvious physiological stuff like mm-hmm. at one point. Um, I couldn't, my hearing went away. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, it so went, that's from a blood pressure increase. When you tapping into the fight or flight, your blood pressure is going to increase. You might get some ringing in the ears and the hearing might be muffled. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. Yep. So that was, it was interesting as, as, uh, as we ended the breath cycle and we did a breath hold mm-hmm. and then, which was, I was like, man, we're, this is cool. Like I could feel some tingling in my fingers. I felt tingling in my lips and then I felt the, my hearing get muted. Cause I'm listening to you talk to us a little mm-hmm. bit, which I'm going to play. I'm not sure where I'm going to put it, but I'm going to play a little bit of our session mm-hmm. either probably on the end of this or somewhere. And uh, maybe right now. <laughs> anyway, so it's going to be in here somewhere. So the, so I could feel these changes and it's, and then we took our big breath in mm-hmm. and when you had us hold it and then we started back into the breathing. And when we started back into the breathing, I had this wave of like giddiness come over me and I, mm-hmm. I was struggling not to laugh. Yes. Um, because I'm like, you're supposed to be breathing, breathe, <laughs> focus on what the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I did have this sense of g- this giggle like come up in my head and, and I wanted a giggle and had to suppress it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, w- there was this obvious transition into this lightness that had um, come over me. And interestingly, you know, literally trying to put away the world. Mm-hmm. And I think about this all the time when I'm like training jujitsu or whatever. I'm like, this is my time to just be in the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about anything. I came in, I put on my pajamas and I'm, I'm wrestling with people and, f- and focus on the moment. And so similarly, I was trying to do the same thing here. Right. And at, with your encouragement, right. You're saying, Hey, shut out the world, focus on the moment. And I'm looking, literally looking around, my eyes are closed and I'm looking around inside my headspace. And thinking, okay, what am I focusing on? Like, focus. What am I try to focus on? Something like pick a point, and um, and that got easier and easier and easier throughout the the whole exercise. Yes, certainly having you guide us through that and and have that experience, kind of as I'm in there trying to go through the process of breathing and and the breath hold, and just to have you take us kind of through that guided meditation or, or exercise uh, was super helpful. And then, uh, again, I was, every time that we would come to the breath hold, it was just unbelievable to me how easy it was. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, we're going to do this next one. And it's going to be a minute. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, especially coming into it is, well, that's probably as long as I've ever held my breath in my entire life mm-hmm. is, is a minute. And then to just have it be, okay, well, that was a minute. And I'm like, it was mm-hmm. oh. setting PRs today, baby. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then as it just you know, and he as we continue to get to do those sessions, and it's like okay, this next one we're going to try to do you know ninety seconds, we're going to do two minutes. Mm-hmm. I never once f- felt that it was a struggle to to get to that point, yeah. and just because my body just was doing what it was supposed to yeah. do. That having you being there and 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 uh, kind of having that in the background of my head of like. This is good. Everything here is good. Yeah. You know, just let your let your mind kind of go a little bit with it and go with it. Um, I thought it was I thought it was great, especially with the hey man, you're gonna feel a little tingly and you can kind of go down that path. And at, especially at the end of it, uh, like that was I think what the big part of it is you're heavy and light at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like a heavy energy. It's hard to yeah. hard to describe. 
you brought you brought up meditation. I want to touch on that for a second. Everyone knows nowadays how important meditation. It's a big buzzword. Oh, meditate! But I, countless people say, "Well, I can't. It's hard, right? I have too many thoughts in my head." And that's all fine, right? Everything takes practice. The reason why I like this. So there was actually a, a fellow Wim Hof instructor trainee when I was going through the training who was a 20 year yogi, and this is that's what he dedicated his life to. He said that 20 minutes of breath work got him deeper than 20 years of practicing meditation. And, oh, here, wow. and here's the reason why. I've done, I've done as much research as I physically can. Um, when we're in a fight or flight situation, so let's say you're being chased by that saber-toothed tiger I talked about. You're not thinking about an argument you have with a significant other. You're not thinking about an assignment you have to do. You're not thinking about your last fire. You're thinking about surviving this situation. That is a true definition of being present. So by recreating that aspect in our brain in a safe way with our breath work, we are forcing, in quotes, our body and our mind to be present in this moment because nothing else can happen when you tap into that part of your nervous system. And to me, the definition of meditation is just being present in the moment and not think about anything else. And this allows people to turn that monkey mind off and for the first time ever, sometimes not have any thoughts. But this gets you there in 20 minutes. It's just going to happen because you're tapping into that part of the nervous system. It's automatic. I had a firefighter and we took some Colorado Springs firefighters through it. He said, I've never not had a thought in my head until this moment. And it's, <laughs> and it's scary. He's like, it scared the crap out of me. I don't know what to feel about. I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. But that was the first time he's ever not had a thought. A lot of people do this method at night because it helps shut their brain off and they can actually go to bed and not have that chitter chatter in their head. So actually you yeah, mentioned running meditation. The, running through the exactly. list of the day, yeah, right? That's yeah. one of, I think one of the biggest struggles that we all have. Yeah, absolutely. And especially to be able to, to have something like this to, to again, it sounds like you start your day with it, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm really excited to, to end my day with mm-hmm. it just to take the stresses of the day and, and push them, them let, away let them and, and just mm-hmm. – yeah. Let, well, uh, we, let my body take over. We chat. We kind of mentioned that before. Like, there's different. I guess the question that would come is: is when do you practice mm-hmm. this, right? Because there is different, maybe different benefits to doing it at different times of the day. I think everyone's different. And the cool thing about the breath is it's your breath. It's your practice. It's your journey, or whatever you want to call it. You get to practice how you see fit. You know, there's really no danger in practicing at different time, times of the day, as long as we're in a safe environment, laying down or sitting down. Right? We're not driving. We're not in any body of water. We're very safe with it play with it. So I always encourage people that I teach for the first time, hey, try it in the morning, try it midday, try it at night, see where it fits for you. If you want to do it both in the morning and at night, go ahead, go for it because it feels good. A lot of people kind of get addicted to the breathing, which if they have any addiction, I think breathing is probably the best one we can have. (laughs) They do it multiple times a day. So I just think the cool thing is it's your breath, it's your practice, you play with it. Like there's no wrong answer. There's no right answer. Just do what feels good. Do where it fits yeah. in your day. Well, so that's, that's what started our conversation before is I had been tinkering with it, doing it in the morning. It like that, you know, I pop up in the morning. I'm like, Oh, I got to go. I got things <laughs> going on. Right. So I feel it's hard for me to do it in the morning. So I do it at night and that has helped me have some really good nights of sleep. Mm-hmm. And, um, the other day in, in, in my office, um, I'm eating my lunch and I'm like, no, wait, stop. I'm going to go. I, I'm feeling some pressure. I'm feeling some stress. Mm-hmm. I, I threw down a yoga mat in my office, kicked off my shoes, lay down on the floor and did a, went through the, the, the four cycle, mm-hmm. uh, Wim Hof method. And I sat up afterwards and I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. okay, I'm good. Like, this is good. I feel great. And I was, yeah, it was tremendous. So, um, and that, and and honestly, I felt like I was, um, that was me doing it in my own little way, having mm-hmm. never been walked through it, and sort of just following the the app and 
not doing it with the greatest level of fidelity, I mm-hmm. guess. And it still had a profound effect. Yeah. So there's, um, yeah, there's really, I, I don't see anything that's the idea of tinkering with it and doing it whenever you yeah. feel, Absolutely. you know, just mm-hmm. give it a shot, right? It'll have different benefits at different times of the day, Absolutely. I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. I did have to get over the fact that I was laying on the floor of my office, which <laughs> made me a little self-conscious, but, but you know what? At the end of the day, who cares? Who cares? Right. So, so, okay. So being self-conscious, I think sometimes we as firefighters have a tendency to not want to, uh, do yoga mm-hmm. or do things like this that are not necessarily in the standard mm-hmm. palette of things. Right. Yep. And so, um, how have you overcome that yeah. in your training? I, it's, at first, I was not successful. So back when I first came on with Tempe back in 2010, I brought some of the fitness stuff forward, right, that we did at Athletes Performance because I wanted to help our guys, you know, reduce injuries and feel better. And I came from a place of telling them what to do and, you know, not, not forcing it, but like saying this is the way it should be done. And I very mm. quickly learned that's not how you create relationships. That's not how you create <laughs> trust. And I had, I had to learn that, you know, that's just something I had to learn in my younger days. So now all – I just ask people to be open-minded, like just, you know, just trust me, give me 20 minutes of your time. Word of mouth has been huge with this. Like with the firefighters in Tempe, you know, pre-pandemic, I was offering several classes a month at our training center where the guys can come in after shift. Um, I prefer them coming in after shift so they can see they got their butts kicked at night Mm -hmm. and they can go home and be happy and have a great day. They don't have to go home and take a nap. You don't have to, you can be there with your family because you hit that reset button on a nervous system, which is super, super important. And so I want them to come after shift. And then once I took a few guys through it, I wasn't pushing it. They start talking and then they start talking and then everyone starts talking and say, Oh, you know, I felt great. I had a great day. We got to, everyone knows what it's like to go home after a long shift and be tired, cranky, irritable. And then we have a thousand responsibilities with our significant others and our kids. Everyone knows what that's like. And everyone wants to be better. Everyone wants to be a good significant other. Everyone wants to be a good parent. And this allowed them, allowed myself to go home and be engaged with my family. And so having them go home after a long night and then saying, I feel great the entire day. I had a great day with my wife and my kids or my husband and my kids, whatever it is. Other people started wanting that. Everyone wants the same thing. We don't always talk about it, but we all want the same thing. So this getting people just to go through it and then spread the message that, hey, this is easy. You can show up. It takes 20 minutes and you can feel good the rest of your day. And then slowly but surely more and more people start coming on board. And it wasn't me out there pushing it because that's not, I want people to hear from their coworkers, from their peers, that this is something that's important. This is something that works. And that's what's been going on in Tempe. Yeah. It's kind of organic. Yeah. And yeah, I think we're more inclined to, you know, we sit at the kitchen table and that's where our counselor Mm -hmm. and our banker and our (laughs) our financier, you know, that's, where we get a lot of our information. So, and, and also walking the walk, you know, I can talk a big game if I want, but for me to actually show up every day and do it, you know, I, I choose to be at the busiest station in Tempe, the busiest nighttime station. So I can show people, Hey guys, it's possible. I'm not just saying this, you know, sleeping all night at work, like we're up and let me show you that if I can do it, you guys can do it. And so yeah. it's a lot of it's on me to represent myself the way I want other people to see. And just by doing the method, they can see, okay, this is, this is how Ben is. He's not just making this up. He's not yeah. just trying to get his name out there. He's really just trying to make us help us feel better yeah. and kind of building that trust that way, this walk in the walk and, and practicing to show them that all this is possible. No, I love it. Mm-hmm. That uh, I mentioned Aaron Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, he works at uh, at a busy house in um, Oakland. Oakland. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so here's this cat, another cat doing the same thing, you know, in another place. Mm-hmm. Uh, very successful with that type of uh, resiliency based because of the method. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Um, 
and it, and it's just it just proofs in the pudding, right? You it just is. see it right there. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. So what what we didn't do today was get in the ice water. Mm-hmm. So this is another part of the Wim Hof method that I think people might be a little bit uh, resistant to or leery of or whatever. Which is good. I want all those emotions. That's good. That's what <laughs> so you want. getting in ice water is is uh, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and unless there's a compelling reason, why would I do that? Right. So. Help me with the compelling reason. Right. So absolutely. So the ice is a teacher. That's really all it is. This teaches us what stress is because you have no choice when you jump into 35 degree water, but to be stressed. Like it's just, it's going to happen. It's going to break down all your walls. No matter how strong you are, you're going to have a reaction to stress. And so it's teaching us how do we handle that stress? How do we react to it? And it's a very safe teacher. So we talk about here in Phoenix, obviously we deal with heat a big portion of the year. Why don't we do this with heat so we get used to the heat? Well, there's a very important reason for that. With the cold, there's a lot of buffers in place to keep us safe, right? If we get too cold, our body starts to shiver to warm ourselves up. If we go even further, we might get frostbite. Your body would much rather lose a finger or a toe than a liver or a spleen. So we have these protective mechanisms in place with the cold. With the heat, if we overdo it in the heat, there's a ton of compromise on our cardiovascular system. We may not even recognize it, and it becomes extremely dangerous if we don't fix it right away. And sometimes you can't fix it when you get the heat exhaustion, heat stroke. So the reason we use cold is just that it's a very safe, effective teacher. But all we're teaching ourselves how to do is how to handle an exterior stress. Something that's thrown at us in our environment, how do we handle that, process that, and let it go? The breath work creates an internal stress that we constantly create our own stresses in our head anyway. The ice creates an external stress, so it's hitting it from all the angles. So a lot of people look at ice as this physical recovery tool, right? A lot of athletes do it. We did it at Athletes Performance in Exos. We had a cold tub set to 54 degrees. They go in for a few minutes or do contrast with hot, cold, whatever it was. And there's tremendous physical benefits that we all know about. Where we approach it, where I like to approach it, is from a mental health standpoint, purely mental health standpoint. Because if we can look at this ice, let's say we're standing right behind the tub and it's 35 degrees, we know it's gonna be uncomfortable. We know it's gonna hurt. We know it's gonna be challenging. This is innate fear that we have as humans of ice water and that's why this works so great. It's just built into us. Like if I just asked you to go jump in a hot tub, like yeah, sounds good. Ask you to jump in a cold tub, a whole different set of emotions come up. And we wanna be able to confront those emotions, understand why am I having this reaction to something that's not gonna hurt me? Because how many times in life do you stop yourself from doing something because of something that might happen? You might have a reaction. This might be hard. This might be difficult. And we let that get in the way. So with the ice, you're standing right behind a tub of 35 degree water and you get in and then your body's going to react a very specific way. You have no choice but to activate that sympathetic fight or flight nervous system. And with the guiding of a coach or someone who knows what they're doing, they're able to take you from that sympathetic response to show you within two minutes, and that's all you need to do in the ice, two minutes to how to go from your activating that sympathetic to now we can start to control our breath. And by the end of the two minutes, we can just have a conversation just like this. So it shows you that no matter what environment you go into, however challenging that environment may be, you don't have to lose control. You can come back to the breath and you can maintain as much control as you thought humanly possible. And to me, this, that... And, and to me, that that applies to everything we do, especially in the fire service. You know, I look at, you know, I, I compare rookie firefighters to veteran firefighters. You know, I'm still a newer firefighter. I've only been doing it for seven years. But let's give you an analogy. 
let's say we have two backseat firefighters. One guy has 15 years on a job. The other guy is six months in and probation. You're both going on the same fire. You're both hearing the same exact update on the radio. You both know you've been trained to a certain level to respond and handle that situation. What's the difference maker between those two firefighters? The ability to handle stress to perform. So our ability to handle stress directly gets in the way of our ability to perform. And the same thing goes for elite athletes. They've all been trained. They're all good at what they do. They're professionals. But your ability to handle stress in that situation either limits or unleashes your ability to be successful within that performance. So the ice kind of shows you, it allows you to put yourself in this stressful situation over and over and over again. And with practice, you begin to realize what stress is, what it feels like, and how not to let it affect you. Imagine going to a fire as a newer firefighter and you're like, oh, I know what stress is. This feels like stress, but I got control. I'm not going to let my breath get away from me. I'm going to maintain a clear, calm head because I've trained this over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, those blinders tend to come off. And so that's what I use the ice as. It's, just, it's teaching you how to handle, how to process, how to let go of stress. And much like I talked about with the breath work, as soon as you're done with the breath work, you're in parasympathetic. It's, it'll switch you just like that because the threat is no longer there. With the ice, it's the same thing. We jump into 35-degree water for two minutes. We maintain control. We're good. We get out. That threat, once again in quotes, is no longer there. Your body shifts from sympathetic to parasympathetic, which is where we're – it's a reset button on our nervous system. And that's what the ice can teach us and show us how to do with our physiology. Mm. What um, Outside of that, though, is there any other physiological health benefits yeah. or whatever? So there's a great – um, a doctor, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, she's one of the biggest gurus on ice and hot therapy. And there's very little research done with extreme cold temperatures on what it does for the body. So the reason why ice works or ice baths work on inflammation is because of norepinephrine. When you tap into the fight or flight, you release adrenaline, noradrenaline, norepinephrine, and cortisol. Norepinephrine is one of your major anti-inflammatories. So that's what helps inflammation when you release that in ice. She did a study that at just 40 degrees Fahrenheit, for 30 seconds, three days a week, you increase your norepi, nor, norepi outtake by 300%, hmm. just by doing that amount. So there's a huge phys, uh, you know, muscle-wise, inflammation-wise response to that. But the reason like I like to teach it is just that mental health standpoint. And the quote I like to use is the way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. So if you have someone standing behind the ice bath who's scared, who has a lot of fear, who is anxious, who, you know, Let's say they're trying to pump themselves up by hitting themselves in the face, whatever it is, right? You know, pump yourself up. Well, that's how you're going to approach everything else in life. You're going to approach it with fear, with anxiety, with uncertainty, you know, trying to push through it and, and, and you, know, you know, break down that wall. As opposed to you stand behind the ice, you're like, okay, this will be uncomfortable. I know it's going to be, but I'm in control. No matter what happens, I'm going to maintain control of my breath. I'm going to maintain a clear head. I'm going to be able to communicate effectively. Because if I can do that here in the ice, I can do that anywhere, whether at home with my family, on the fire ground, on an EMS call, in training, I'm in control. And that's what the ice can show us. Mm, I love it. Well, um, that is, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because I just, I'm thinking now about how I need to get a, an ice tub at home. <laughs> and, um, you know, I know there's there's a lot of way folks do it. You have a really cool way of doing it, which I think you, I would love for you to share because mm -hmm. The I you know I was like well I gotta stop and buy six bags of ice on my right. way home throw it in a in the tub or throw mm -hmm. it in a a cattle you know a, a cattle trough mm -hmm. or something like that right that's one way of doing mm -hmm. it um, and I'm sure that's 
you know, that's probably the more expensive and hassle way to do right. it. You have a really interesting way of doing mm-hmm. it. Tell me about your tub. Yeah. So well, being in Phoenix, right, it's tough to find cold water sometimes. And during the winter, I believe the showers are good enough to start with cold showers just to learn how you react to that stress. So there's a whole subculture on the internet that turn these deep chest freezers, you know, like you store your hunting meat in, they turn them into cold tubs. And so there's, you can do your own research, but basically you, you seal the seams and you fill up with water and it's a big enough one where you can sit in and basically you plug it in for, you know, maybe four to eight hours and it brings the temperature down to 35, 40 degrees. You make sure you unplug it before you get in because you don't yeah. want to sit in anything electrified. Safety first. And this is all on your own. <laughs> I take no responsibility. Just do it safely. Do your research, but don't hurt yourself. And then you have your own 40 degree cold tub literally at your house whenever you want. And, you know, cost a few bucks a year in electricity, but as a whole, the guy wrote a book about it online about oh, chest freezer right? cold tubs. Yeah. He wrote oh. a book. He's got a whole Facebook group. Or if that doesn't work, I have a camping shower that I'll get a five gallon bucket, throw some ice in it, put my camping shower in there. And I can take a 35 degree shower to continue to practice even during the summer months when it's so hot here in Phoenix. So you, you had mentioned having a coach walk you through it, but let's just say um, I'm doing this on my mm-hmm. own. How do I how do I start this practice? How do I start the breath practice? How do I start mm-hmm. the ice practice? Right. So a lot of good resources out there. The internet is full of good resources. At the same time, full of some not so good resources. Yeah, no kidding. So we always <laughs> yeah. So you know, WimHoffMethod.com is a website that people can go to. He has an app, like you said. You just go on your app store and type in Wim Hof Method, and it will give you some history behind it. And you know, there might be a cost associated with some of it, but that'll take you through the reasoning, the explanation, and it'll take you through a few of the breath rounds. Um, and on the website, it talks about the ice. You can buy Wim's online course, which he has, which is how I started out. Um, or just you know, go on YouTube. You can type in Wim Hof Breathwork, and you're going to take your chances. But there's a lot of good videos out there just online that will walk you through it. I've got about 15 videos up um, that I, I did for Exos. We did a whole Exos at home thing during the pandemic, and I took the whole country through breathwork one day a week live and they recorded those sessions so if you type in my name and go exos exos at home i'll have like 15 videos of me taking people through breath work cool i'll put some i'll put the links in the mm-hmm. show notes and then as you know, well as my website connect to it.co we have all this information on the ice and all the research on there about what the method is and what it can what it can do to help so a lot of good resources out there that's i can't stress enough how safe you need to be doing it only do the breath work when you're sitting down or laying down, never while you're driving a car, never while you're in and around any body of water. The breathing we teach in the ice is completely different than the breathing we teach when you're laying on the ground. So understand that there's a big difference in that. Um, and then with the ice, if you shiver, you've done too much. So it's a very slow, gradual process. It took me about a year of doing the cold showers, incrementally increasing my time to get ready to do a 35, 40 degree ice bath. So don't push it because your nervous system will get taxed way too quick. You might get sick. It's a very slow, methodical progression to be able to adapt to that stress for the right amount of time to become stronger. Right on. So, um, well, Ben, I really appreciate you taking Chris and I through Mm -hmm. the session and, uh, Chris had to step out again. (laughs) Yeah. So bye Chris. Mm -hmm. And, um, really appreciate you, you taking us through the session and, um, it, uh, if folks want to follow you on social media mm-hmm. or what have you, or get in touch with you, mm-hmm. where would they, so where my, would they find you? So my Instagram is at connect to it. My, my wife and I created a company called connect to it, which is basically connecting people to whatever it is they need, whether it's breath work, whether it's ice, whether it's Reiki, whether it's neuro-linguistic programming, hypnotherapy, this is something we do as, as a couple because our goal is not just to 
help the first responder, firefighter, police officer, military, is to get the whole family involved. Because I know I said, we had a conversation today with Chris. Every firefighter I take through it, they say, you know what? My wife needs this. My, my friends need this because they see how stressed their family is. And all they want to, all we want to do is take stress off of them. And so our goal, my wife, you know, talks about it from the spouse perspective and how it's helped her. Um, when I come home, if I can get 20 minutes to breathe, all of a sudden my day's a thousand times better. I'm more engaged as a husband, more engaged as a father. And so I think the big goal, what we're trying to push across is this is a family thing. This isn't just about the first responder. It's about the first responder family. So at connect to it is my Instagram and then connect to it.co is my website. Is it connect to it with a two or yeah, connect- with a two? Yeah. Oh, okay. Connect to number two, it.co. Cool. On Instagram and Facebook and yeah. Mm-hmm. Right on, man. Mm-hmm. Well, once again, thank you so much. I appreciate you're what welcome. you're doing. And I, I, you know, after the session we had today, um, man, that was really good. <laughs> so, uh, I would encourage anybody who's listening to this to uh, to follow Ben on Instagram. F- go check out the resources. Start your practice. Reach out to Ben for more information and uh, and uh, get after it. I appreciate you letting me do this. It's awesome. Absolutely. Hey, that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in. Ben, thanks for sharing your depth of knowledge in the Wim Hof Method and your uh, depth of knowledge just in general. It's great to have a conversation with you. Folks, uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you for listening. Hey, and one last thing. If you go to the Ben Dubin Part 2, you will find additional material. Uh, It's uh, the recording of... Uh, Chris and I and Ben doing uh, our Wim Hof session. So if you're into that, you want to listen along or you want to give it a shot, go to uh, Ben Dubin part two, that session right there. You can follow along. As always, if you have any thoughts or feedback, feel free to reach out on me. I can be reached at rain gray at firegroundfitness.com. That's all I have for today, folks. Go on out there and get some.